0: You've got work friends, you've got best friends, and now you've got ghoul friends. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the Ghoul Friends podcast. I'm Celeste and as you'd notice, Caitlin is not here today, but I am not alone. So fret not, dear listeners. I have the woman, the myth, the legend, Mama Ghoul. (laughs) Say hi hello
1: there to all my new baby ghouls
0: baby ghouls yes and i know you're a little nervous but i am nervous everyone gabby was super nervous too the first so couple please
1: times. don't stop listening to them just <laughs> if i screw this up today okay i really do beg you it's not her fault I'm, I'm lousy at this
0: don't even worry we mess up so many times it's not even funny well that's good no so. thank you for stepping in for caitlin this week she is off on her New England adventures. Yes. Um, so the show must go on, as they say on Broadway. So, Absolutely. You know we keep plugging away at it. Um, and I know you've listened. You've listened to a few episodes, right?
1: I'm really a podcast virgin, and yours <laughs> is the only one that I listen to.
0: It's fair. I mean, to be fair, I don't know if you knew what a podcast was until we maybe started ours.
1: Well, you started yours, and then Jeff started listening, and he listens to a variety. Yes. Um, so. But I only listen to y'all, so.
0: Fair enough. And <laughs> Jeff is Papa Ghoul for those he's that Papa have Gould, put yes. that you know, together. And he, he was not able to appear with us. He had a, a date with his airplane this morning. Yes. So. His
1: aluminum mistress, as we call her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so he's off traversing the friendly skies, and we're here. Um, so, yeah, we've definitely talked about you guys before on the podcast. I'm
1: not really as bad as they say, okay?
0: Mainly it's about how I always steal things out of your garage. But Absolutely.
1: <laughs> I'm going to start putting a camera down there. You should. I will wave to it as I, as as I run by. As takes off and absconds with all my paper towels and toilet paper. I'm just saying, if it's a key, it ain't breaking and entering.
0: That's so. right. Um, yeah, so we've talked about you guys before, and um, as we've mentioned on the show, you and Dad are both now retired. Yes. And living your good retired life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is good since
0: we have all this other work to do now. <laughs> That's true. You know, it, you think you retire, then life just slows down. And now we
1: work for the family,
0: <laughs> and you just don't get paid for it anymore. No, we unfortunately. don't get paid. There's no paycheck here. No. Um, but you guys are both retired. Doctors, Correct. So, for the good people, do you want to just give a brief background on what kind of doctor you are and what you've done? Sure.
1: Um, I started out uh, my medical life as a pathologist. Okay. Um, in med school, I worked for the um, medical school doing autopsies, mm-hmm. um, which furthered my interest in pursuing pathology, and then I did two years of anatomic pathology in residency with the thought that I was going to go into forensics. Mm -hmm. And then started teaching uh, the radiation oncology therapist of their pathology course and kind of got sucked into radiation (laughs) oncology. And that's how I did most of my career as a radiation oncologist. Gotcha. But I still... Always kept up with the pathology and Mm. the stuff. I mean, when I was around, Quincy was the only uh, forensic story there was out there. Now there's CSI and NCIS and everything else. Yeah,
0: It's really become more mainstream now than it was before. Yeah,
1: before people looked at you weird. (laughs) Yeah, Mishka's coming over to say hi. Hey, Mishka. He wants to say hi to Grandma. <laughs> He's like, you're not usually here, Grandma. He's like, what are, what are, we are you doing? doing? <laughs> what are we doing? He'll just
0: sit. He'll he wants yeah. to be a part of the show too. Um, yeah. So going back, I guess when and how did you know that you wanted to be a doctor?
1: How I knew, I don't know, Um, but I've known I wanted to be a doctor since I was 12 years old, Mm. and so when people would ask me, what are you going to be, I said, a doctor, so I had to make it come true because i told too many people, so...
0: (laughs) But you did, and it happened.
1: I did, and it worked, and um, it certainly enjoyed my career and all the work I did, Um, and I'm glad now that I'm retired. Yeah, because I mean, you worked for how long? Oh, let's see, I graduated medical school in 1982, so... A bit. Yeah, so I did that, and then officially, I retired in 2013 from the group. Yeah, I was just finishing college when right. you were retiring. And then I still worked for them as locums, mm. um, and filling in and such for a while, and then yep. um, ended up... In, at the end of 2016. Mm, right.
0: And for those that don't know, a locum is a what? Like, what is that?
1: It's a person that gets hired by a group to come in and fill in when there's vacations, sicknesses, other things. So it's so there, like a temp. It's like a temp. Okay.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. And as far as, um, you know, when you said you started off in pathology for mm-hmm. just to, you know, if we have listeners that don't fully know that, what what does a pathologist do?
1: The pathologist is the person who studies um, anat- um, autopsies. They do autopsies to evaluate the reasons why people die. Mm-hmm. Um, they look at uh, slides of tissues to make diagnosis from biopsies and okay. surgeries and such. Um, you can... There's two divisions of it, anatomic and clinical. The clinical pathologist is more in charge of the laboratory that's running all the machines to test your blood, your urine, mm-hmm. um, doing so, things like that. So, so like, anytime you get blood work. Yeah.
0: Like... Even living people that are yeah, getting even blood living people, people. Yes. like your work is essentially being processed by a pathologist, right? Okay, yeah,
1: they're always kind of looking over everything, making sure the machinery works, and if there's abnormalities, then they want to evaluate those different, you know, so okay. they can find out what's going on.
0: And the anatomical side, is that more the person that does, like, autopsy and...
1: Autopsies, and a lot of it is what's called surgical pathology. So when you have a biopsy or something removed or things taken out at surgery, that goes to the anatomic pathologist who um, evaluates it, does slides of it, and reads it under the microscope to give a final diagnosis. Okay, and
0: as far as, you know, when we, now, as you were saying, uh, pathology and forensics have become really kind of mainstream with shows these days. Oh, yeah. um, just, Between them and vets, it's, you know, yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool again. It's cool again. Well, it's interesting, too. So as far as, like, the forensics and maybe debunking some of the things you see on TV versus, you know, what really happens in real life, <laughs> Yeah. Um, do pathologists usually go out to crime
1: scenes? Um. At times. It depends on what the setting is. I mean, if it's a car wreck and the team that's out there feels very comfortable, they know what happened, you know, the person reeks of alcohol, it's a one person Mm -hmm. hit, ran into a tree, then no. Um, If it's a murder scene, depending on how complex it is, um, many times you get called out to that Okay. um, to look at things and, um, you know, just add that extra set of eyes in, in addition to what the team is doing with that. And usually there is a team that's out there. So the people you see on CSI, NCIS, those are the people who are going out to gather evidence and set up the scene and protect that scene, Right people from walking through it right? and picking up things and mementos or whatever and, you know, yeah. messing it up.
0: Is that something you see, like, you have seen where people want
1: Oh, yeah. To get things oh, from yeah. the scene. Oh, yeah. People same. are morbid as hell. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that's why we're here today.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're because morbid. They want to look. <laughs> well,
0: it's so interesting. And we've said that before in past shows because we've talked about, like, for example, um, I think you've heard of this case, but the Velisca axe murders. It was, like, mm. early 1900s. Uh-huh. Um, I think. I think in Idaho or Iowa. It was basically an entire family that oh, was yeah, slaughtered. The, the family of like six or seven yes. plus a friend that was yes. spending the night.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah.
0: And um, basically they had this problem where people just would come and like take dishes or. Oh, yeah. And it's just so funny that that like has transcended through time. Like yeah. people have always been kind of fascinated yeah. with. getting. Yeah. So
1: things. those tapes are for a reason. You know, mm. so people stay back. You know, they're not taking pictures of things. I mean, no one wants to see their loved one. In right. that situation, paraded, like that. paraded around like that. So sure, um, but yeah, people really, especially in the 1900s, since there weren't really a lot of photography going on, right? They did want mementos of the situation or that I was there type of things, so. right?
0: And forensics was in its, I mean, yeah, pre-birth, yeah, stage at that point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, we didn't even...
1: you knew it was blood most of the time, yeah, you know that sort of thing. But
0: right, I mean, DNA, fingerprints. DNA,
1: fingerprints, none all of that, that was.
0: It's non-existent. Not existent I mean. Yeah. So then, and this is what I kind of find interesting, is that many would argue that as a pathologist, you obviously spent more time with the dead yes. than the living. Yes. So what was the draw that made you want to do that?
1: Um, I was always interested, even in high school, I worked in a hospital. I mean, not high school, coming out of college, um, I worked in a hospital in the summers, and um, I was a phlebotomist, so mm-hmm. I drew blood. So that was a good talent to have when you're going in med school. Sure, good practice. You know, good practice. And But I also got a chance to work with the pathologist at that hospital. Yeah. Um, I told them I had some interest, and so they kind of walked me through and let me look at a lot of things and showed me how they do things and such. So um, it was just kind of a draw of curiosity of what makes things work, what makes things go wrong.
0: Yeah. How do you figure it out? Right. And as far as it goes when it comes to, like, forensics and, you know, crime and, um, you know, finding people who hurt other people, mm-hmm. um, what was kind of your motivation to get involved in that aspect of it? Because I know you assisted on a, a fair amount of cases.
1: Right. Um, in medical school, um, we had few lectures on the forensic aspect of pathology, and the gentleman who gave that, um, gave those lectures just made such an impact on me. Mm. His words were, you were the final voice for the mm. dead. Yeah. And I thought, wow, what an amazing statement. thing to do. Yeah, you know? um, And he was like, you know, you're the only one who's going to bring closure to that family. Right. You're the only one that's going to bring justice to that person, Mm -hmm. and you're the only one who can make sure that person's never really forgotten until it's solved. Right. So I just thought, wow, that would be a really neat thing to do. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. So I kind of just followed that path for a while. Sure.
0: Did you find it was, like, draining? Like a draining? Did you ever find yourself getting, like, burnt out or run down?
1: You could get tired. Sure, Um, there was a time um, there had been a fire at a jail, and I had multiple, multiple bodies Mm. to deal with and to do autopsies because in a setting like that, you always have to prove that you know the guards didn't shoot the right the person died the the prisoners and then set a fire to cover right that they died. By the way, they They died by the way they said. Yeah. um, So, you know, you have to autopsy everybody who's brought out of that fire, prisoner, guards, no matter what. Yeah. And um, so you do, you get a little overwhelmed then, but, you know. Or when you've gone out to plane crashes. Disasters. Plane crashes and disasters like that are probably the hardest ones, you know. Mm -hmm. You're just seeing so much carnage. Right. At one point that it can overwhelm you and you just have to stop and say what am i here for i'm here for them yeah i can do this right and yeah. i mean i can't
0: imagine because i know for me i'm very much i think an empath mm-hmm. so and I imagine you probably are in some aspects. Well, as you well. always
1: laugh that I call you when something's going <laughs> well, on. Right. And, like,
0: <laughs> I couldn't imagine doing that job because, like, I watch the news and I see plane crashes and I immediately get upset just because I think I feel yeah. a lot of it. So,
1: it took a long time to kind of figure out that. Some of my feelings were not my feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, that some of it was what I was in and mm-hmm. what was still around me. Sure. At that time. Because when you walk in and things like that, not as much when you come on cases that people have been gone for a while, you know, you're at a grave mm-hmm. and you're finding more skeletons than anything else, but when things have just happened fresh. Fresh. And yeah you're there and you can just feel you're not really alone at all yeah so
0: no and i that's a really actually that's a perfect segue into my next kind of uh question is too because you know i always find this really interesting because you and dad have very different beliefs on this but you're both scientists you're both doctors and i know your side of the family is very very sensitive Mm -hmm. um and i mean we've been talking about ghosts since like before I can remember we've been talking about ghosts like ghosts have just always been there Yeah, um, and I think that's a big part of the culture in the south especially in South Carolina there's a huge oh yeah we do worship the ancestors right in Charleston like there's a huge um, you know there's just so many we joke all the time but you can't hit a, you know throw a rock and not hit a building down here that's not haunted in some oh, sure. way yeah. um, but it's so interesting because you I think have a pretty strong belief in that mm-hmm. um, and dad completely really doesn't
1: I don't think he's had he's had a few experiences mm-hmm. when we were together that he couldn't explain that through him, and so I think he's open to it. He just hasn't experienced it as much, right? You know?
0: So I guess my question then is, how do you reconcile being a scientist and relying on empirical data versus you know believing in something that you can't explain or you can't see at
1: all? Yeah, it's it's kind of a division that's in there. I mean, I. You know, I believe in higher power. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, I believe, because I've seen things and seen people recover from things that I know I didn't bring them out of it. Yeah. Um, and that if they were going to come out of it, they came out intact, which was just like, no.
0: <laughs> do you want to tell one of the... Do you have a story like that off the top of your head?
1: Um, you know, it's more of... Like auto accidents, I've been to okay. a couple, um, and you know the car is totally totaled. Yeah, you know, you're like walking up, going, "No way." We got to cut everybody out, and yet then you'll find maybe a baby in there that's unharmed, unharmed mm. in the car seat when, when, you know, yay for car please seats. Put car seats. <laughs> please, please put your babies in car seats. Please put your babies in car seats. But you're just like. How? They're really not even. Hurt. They're they're scared. Yeah, sure. They're shaken. Right. But they're not cut. They're not injured. They're not scratched. They're not really very bruised. It's like something stopped it. Stopped it. Yeah. You know. And and I can't explain why that happens or how it happens, but you see it. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, So I think for me it is hard, but, you know, I believe we don't have all the final answers Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that um, I think we're going to find when we do get some more of the answers that physics and the laws of physics and energy and Mm -hmm. where things came from and how they react and such... We'll probably explain a lot of this, too. So I think some of it is science. It's just science we don't know yet. Right. And I
0: think that's an interesting concept because I know for me, like near-death experience is always a really interesting Mm -hmm. subject. And I know it's a good friend of ours who had, that's the one story I've always remembered, had a patient that I think the patient coded, like she had a bad Reaction
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I mean at that point I mean coded means your heart Codamine, has stopped right. She
1: had had anap- she was in anaphylactic shock. Um, she had reacted to a chemical mm-hmm. and um, heart stopped, breathing stopped. She was being compressed on. She was being ventilated, but she was not doing any of those things herself. Right. With that, but they got her back. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, she gave the classic story of went through the tunnel. Mm-hmm. There was a light at the tunnel, but the funny thing she said is the person who was her doctor was standing at the end of the tunnel and said, "Oh no, you don't." <laughs> Which knowing that
0: person, I completely believe that that's and, what she saw.
1: Yes, and she was like, "Oh no, you don't. Mm-hmm. It's not your time. You you get you get back here." Right? And I thoroughly believed that. I mean, she had no way of knowing what all was happening to her at that point. Well, right. And um,
0: didn't she also know details about people who entered the room after, I guess, technically she had coded um, or saw things that she would not have seen?
1: My uncle did. Oh, okay. I'm mixing some um, stories then. That was my uncle. Uh, my uncle, uh, my mother's brother, had a very serious illness and was up in... Hospital in the Northeast, and had to have emergency surgery, and he coded, um, and they brought him back. And afterwards, he had very vivid recall of what happened. Mm -hmm. He reported the going to the ceiling. Yep. You know, overlooking things. Um, My grandmother was there with him. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the classic. Yeah, who was there with him and talking to him. Um, He saw things that happened. Um, One of the nurses could not get an IV line into him, an intravenous line into him. And the surgeon said, if you can't do your damn job, get the hell out of the way. Right, which was rude. (laughs) Which was rude, but, you know. High-stress situations. (laughs) High-stress situations and, you know, some other things. And so after it was over... When he, that surgeon came into my uncle's room, and my uncle was conscious enough to talk and such, he said, you shouldn't have yelled at the nurse. Mm. And he said, what are you talking about? He said, she was trying to get that IV in. I'm sure I didn't have any blood pressure or anything, so she was having a hard time, and you yelled at her. And, right. And he said, the surgeon just stood there like, who told you that? He said, I saw it. hmm and at the very end, when they were successfully resuscitating him, my grandmother told him, "This is not your time. Yeah. You're not to come with me, yeah. but I wanted to be here with you now."
0: Mm. Well, it's just so interesting because, again, I mean, science would argue that if your heart is stopped and you're not breathing, your brain is—I mean, technically Te- dead. dead. Yeah. How can you a recall memory, right? And b remember details that you Mm -hmm. were dead at the time that they were occurring right
1: you know so everybody there's hypoxia so they say that with that that's one of the things that can happen with the lights Mm -hmm. and such just kind of as neurons are firing off and shutting Mm -hmm. down and such but I don't know you hear that same story and people who don't know each other and people who have no relationship to each other who talk about these things Mm -hmm. You know, seeing the light is a very common thing. Right. I had a patient who was in the process of dying, and I walked into their hospital room and it was pitch dark. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the wife and I'm like, What's going on? Mm-hmm. And she said he keeps talking about the light. So I think the light's hurting his eyes. So I made him shut down the dra- you know, the window, put down the curtain thing, and I c- turned off the light. She says because I don't want his eyes to hurt. And I said, Oh, honey, <laughs> it's not that light. Wrong <laughs> light. <laughs> Wrong light. You want him to see that light. Yeah. You know that's a good warm welcoming light. Let him go.
0: I can imagine. I mean, again, that's something I don't know if I would have the stamina to sit and, you know, watch and go through, but... It's
1: hard. It's mm-hmm. hard. But, you know, I think they deserve to be loved up until the very end or not alone. Right. Sure. You know, I think that's the hard part right now with many of what's going on with these infections. People can't be with their loved ones at that right. time. Um, and I think that's the most tragic thing of all, Yeah, too. of so, course. Of course, with that. But, um, but yeah, I mean... I've had the privilege of being with both my parents mm-hmm. when they passed yep. and wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Yeah.
0: No, I'm, I'm not looking forward to that day, day so <laughs> please um, stick around for a bit, please. Um, well, yeah, and, you know, you're talking about, obviously, right now with the COVID pandemic, hospitals are basically everywhere operating at capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that kind of, it's an interesting segue. Really kind of the topic of today's episode is about Hospitals and hauntings and that kind of goes hand in hand in what you've experienced. Right. Um, so obviously as everyone knows, a hospital is a really busy place that has everything occurring from birth to death to surgery. Oh, yeah. It's to a perfect routine. setup. I mean you've got a little bit of everything going mm-hmm. on. So you know you, we think of these beautiful modern hospitals. But I mean that doesn't something does not have to look old and dilapidated for it to be haunted never. at all.
1: Never. never. So In many mm-hmm. hospitals are there's old sections of the hospital, there's newer sections of the hospital. they're all these interconnecting areas and such. Um, you know what I find off often is that hauntings are really just not talked about. really. I mean, you Like among the staff? Among the staff, mm. because no one wants to be the crazy doctor who thinks there's it's a fun. ghost in the hallway. <laughs> right. But I will tell you that having worked at multiple hospitals in very different locations, um, you know, sometimes there's a room on a hall, and you're like, why is that the storage room? And usually the oldest nurse will tell you, well, no one likes to take care of people in there.
0: hmm that's kinda of like the secret signal that That's the secret something's signal, up.
1: something's up. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And so they make it a storeroom where people don't have to go in there often and certainly mm-hmm. they don't have to be in there taking care of right. patients as such. Or, you know, nurses are like I hate going down to the end of that hallway into yeah. those rooms. You know, it's not always it's you don't always see you know forms or anything. Sure. It's yeah. just the feeling. Right. You know, that stand-up hair. Yeah. The prickliness, you know, you're just like, ugh. Sure. Don't like it in here. Well,
0: it's interesting, too, because I think most people, obviously, those of us that do not work in a hospital, would automatically think about it and say, well, I imagine the, the morgue must be the most haunted place because... Really not. That's where all the dead people go.
1: Really not.
0: You haven't spent a, a good amount of time in the morgue. I have spent a lot of time
1: in a morgue, and I was never scared in a morgue. Really? I was there was no one there I thought who could hurt me or had a reason to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so people coming into the morgue sometimes scared me. <laughs> Didn't Dad, like, scare the crap out of you one time? No, it was a guy who worked in the ER. Oh, And gotcha. he thought he was going to be Mr. Macho Man and come in and... Save you. Save me, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, the only thing in here that scares me right now is you, so you need to leave. <laughs> Please go. <laughs> I am fine. Fair enough. You know, but, I mean... I was never scared in the morgue. Now, I think more people talk about, you know, like in funeral homes where the bombing and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. they get more heebie-jeebies with that. But the morgue, really, for whatever reason... It was pretty quiet. It was pretty quiet. Well, it's
0: kind of like graveyards. Everyone thinks... And graveyards can be haunted. I'm not saying that they can't. But I've always found graveyards to be quite peaceful. Like, I've always yeah. enjoyed kind of walking through them. It doesn't bother yeah, me. Yeah, I think
1: you have to be the reverence and respect. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think if you go in there... Mm-hmm. Trying to rile things up, you can rile things up. Oh Caitlin and I have had that discussion
0: many a times, Caitlin. <laughs> um, yes, I yeah. think you it's all about the way you approach it.
1: Yeah. For me it you know these are dead people, but they were people mm-hmm. They yep. deserve the respect of having human form and dignity. Um, and there's a reverence. It's a privilege to take care of people even in that setting, right you know? Sure. So, I think because that's how I approached it always, I never had a single problem with that.
0: Right, and I mean, that's fair. I mean, you come and stomp all over my grave, I'm probably going to mess with you, too, because sure. I'm not going to like that. Yeah. But I think, too, I think that's an interesting connection between, um, like, the way people are buried and, like burying or um, interning someone like with dignity versus when we see these cases of like unmarked burial, mass burial, um, in the uptick in the activity, right. And like the uptick in activity that tends to come with that. Mm -hmm. I think there's very much, um, you know, kind of a a ritualistic sense of, you know, laying someone to rest. Mm -hmm. And I think in some way, I I I think it's for
1: the families and the people to say goodbye in the most respectful way they can. But I also think for that person, it's the final steps for them. Right. Yeah. So people may disagree with that. That's okay. Um, Yeah. But that's kind of how I feel about it.
0: I would agree with that. Um, So if the morgue was quiet, it sounds like, for Mm. when you were in there, um, were there certain areas, like if you had to compare from hospital to hospital that you've had things happen in, were there like general areas like the operating room or...
1: Surprisingly not. Mm. operating. Now, I didn't spend as much time in operating rooms, but I never heard a lot of stories about it or you know, yeah. things like that. For me, the, the couple of places that I worked that really creeped me out was part of a very large hospital, and there were old buildings, there were new buildings, mm-hmm. and they were all interconnected. And sometimes those are with underground tunnels. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes those tunnels are used to bring... Bodies from yes. aspect in the hospital to the more. And that's a very such. old yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. And when I walked through those tunnels, I never felt I was there by myself. Mm. They had the old fashioned lights, but those lights were always flickering, and I was like, don't love this. Don't like <laughs> this. You know, I don't think I'm here by myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so it was more places mm-hmm. um, in there. Um, I never had the creepy room type of thing, okay. you know, uh, that I had to take care of a patient in that bothered me or those sort of things. But more of was more, um, or going in, the creepiest part is going into a part of the hospital that shut down. Mm, yeah, I'd imagine that would not be fun. And there's times you can walk through those areas as a shortcut when you're a resident and a medical student. You're always looking ways to sh- save time. Yeah, sure. Because you got to move quickly into yeah. places. And so a lot of times you would cut through those places to get to the other place where you really needed to be. Those were creepy. Because mm-hmm. you just, it's almost like you thought things were still going on there. It, like residual energy? Yeah, like a like residual energy. Like, yeah. you know, you could almost hear sounds of people walking or just that feeling of there are still things happening here. It's not quiet here at all. Yeah. So
0: have you ever had or seen something like, obviously you talk about feelings and like feeling things, but have you ever actually like seen anything or heard anything?
1: I've heard. Okay. I've heard, um, I've heard twice. Um, one, when we were picking up a body, um, from a wreck, mm-hmm. and um, I heard the word "look," mm. and I couldn't think why would I hear the word "look." Well, there was someone who had been thrown, but they were alive. Oh. They were afar. They were away from the. They were away, and we were concentrating on this one area, yeah, uh, where most of the carnage had happened with the car, and I just remember. It was just such a weird feeling because I just heard it was like someone said, look. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, have we looked all around? You know, have we made sure? Do we know how many people were in the car type of thing? And so we started fanning out. Yeah. And found a person who was alive. Oh, wow. Badly injured, but alive. Right. So I think someone in that car who had already passed wanted mm-hmm. to give them the chance. Yeah, sure. With that. Um, and the second time was they were resuscitating someone and I heard the, a voice in my head that said, stop. Mm. And I think it was this person had been through a lot Yeah. and had been ill for a long time and gone through many situations um, and the family wanted to try to prolong their lives. And I just heard the word stop. Mm. You know, and I don't know where it came from. It wasn't in my ear. It's just like I heard that. Yeah, like in your head almost. In your head. Yeah. And fortunately in those types of situations, if the first run doesn't really bring back the results you want, then most people are very open to let's call it now. Right. You know, let's stop everything. We sure. tried. We, we did everything the first levels, so yeah, but yeah, I mean that's probably the most things I've. Those are the two things I've heard. It's mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you've solidified my
0: decision not to ever work in hospitals, <laughs> so I'm I'm good. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, no, I think it's interesting because I think you're right. I think people don't want to uh, let on to things going on in mm-hmm. the hospitals. Um, Obviously, you
1: know, I imagine that could be kind of scary for a
0: patient to hear, but...
1: Yeah, well, you don't want patients to hear it, but, you know, you don't want someone to be the crazy doc who thinks they're a ghost in the place, right. you know, or the crazy nurse. So no one... But, you know, when it's 3 o'clock in the morning and you're having a cup of coffee with some of the older nurses, you tend to hear these of things. hear things, you know, mm-hmm. or I've talked to nurses who were like, oh, I've got that wing, you know, I've mm-hmm. got that... I don't like that hallway. Yeah. And I'm like... Are there sicker patients there or what's going on? She goes, just don't like that hallway. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. it's those little things that'll kind of come out. you in. Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting. Did you find that there was a specific time of day that these things tended to happen, or really was it just kind of...
1: It's all day. All day. I mean, people say you can only go ghost hunting at night. Well, right. No, I don't think so.
0: Well, I mean, I think people die at all times of day. They die at all so, times a day. Especially in hospital, I imagine.
1: And, you know, if they're feeding off emotions and energy more people are in there during the day than there are at night sure so yeah um i never found there was a particular type it just gets eerier as you get darker sure i can imagine
0: and less crowded
1: yeah 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 when you're the only one you're not surrounded (laughs) by a big horde of people you're like okay (laughs) yeah
0: i can imagine i i mean i I would imagine that does put on the kind of creepy factor at night Mm -hmm. um Yeah. No, I think, you know, it's interesting because obviously hospitals now have come a long way from where they started.
1: Sure. I mean, hospitals were barbaric. I mean, Mm -hmm. but it was all we had. Right. You know, when they talk about the Civil War, Mm -hmm. if you had a musket shot or a cannonball shot to your leg, there was no saving. There was no reconstruction. Oh, right. The only thing you could do. And there was no antibiotics.
0: Right. So even if they did manage to amputate your leg successfully without killing
1: you. Well, I mean, but they couldn't even save it if they could have, because you'd have died of the infection, right? And, you, know? you know, so they're basically they gave them booze and held them down, and I can't imagine what how the, painful it was, how painful that was. Sure, you know, so and the you know, it wasn't like those were the sharpest and the best tools of all to be able to do that right. too, so. Right. I mean, I've watched amputations in the operating room and thought, yeah, field, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I couldn't even imagine yeah. what,
0: and you, you think about like old, older hospitals, you know, you think Civil War era hospital oh, areas sure. there, I would imagine the residual energy is so strong just given all the things that happened.
1: Yeah. I've had people tell me that when they go into the old, old sections of the hospital that they can smell things. Mm. Well, smells a big one. Yeah, that they will almost smells like, you know, like gunfire type of thing, Mm -hmm. you know, the smoke, um, that they will smell like dead flesh type of thing, just, you know, that smell that comes along with that.
0: Does death, would you say that death has a specific smell like associated to it?
1: Oh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell when I'm around something that's... Dead. Or dead in the area. Mm. It's just, it's a whiff that once you work around it, you just kind of get... You, you, know you know what it, it is, so...
0: Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Um, well, we were talking about, you know, hospitals and kind of how far medicine has come and the cost of which it has taken to get to where we are today... Um, so I did start kind of looking through haunted hospitals and it was kind of interesting. I had a really hard time finding just like a regular old hospital, but I guess at the time there really weren't a ton of them, you know, like we don't have, I guess back in the 1800s, there were not the giant operating hospitals that we see today, so really, the majority of the hospital research I came across were um, either psychiatric hospitals or asylums, which essentially are kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, healthcare in general has come a long way. Mental healthcare has absolutely come a long way because I mean, as you kind of uh, preface, you know, the, the
1: conditions back then were truly horrendous, oh, yeah. um, and those people were typically abandoned. Yes, yeah, yeah that was a big theme. The- The family was ashamed that there was this situation, um, either physical deformity and mental deformity, you know, children who were born hypoxic births Mm -hmm. type of thing where they just didn't get enough oxygen and they're not normal. Right. Um, Things like that. And so, you know, the families didn't want anything to do with them. The state didn't really know what to do with them. Right. So they put them in these places. And they had, I think, the best intentions when it starts. Sure. But as more and more volume came, they just got didn't overwhelmed. Have the resources to handle it. And you've got people who act out because they don't know that's wrong to right. do. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not aware of the social... Construct. ...construct of things. Sure. And so... Or they're in pain mm-hmm. and they're angry because they're hurting and that sort of thing. So, you know, it it got deplorable. Not that there aren't people who would prey on those sort of people, and sure, you know, in many cases that was a situation. But I think there were good people trying to do good things who just couldn't couldn't do do it all with that, and yeah. those people suffered because of it. I definitely,
0: that's definitely a running theme through these. Um uh, you know, stories and, you know, I've got three. So if you're, if you're good, I can start on the first one. Um, all right. So the first one we're talking about is, um, Rolling Hills asylum, which is located in Bethany, New York. Um, and when the facility was created and I say facility loosely, um, it was actually called a poor house, which is quite common for the time. Um, so basically, to give you a definition, a poorhouse was a government-run facility that supported dependent or needy people. And I say that kind of in air quotes because that's a very loose term. Um, apparently, and I didn't realize this, that poorhouses were very common prior to the beginning of social security, correct? Which I believe started in the '30s, 30s. here in the U.S. Um, so, in regards to Rolling Hills, on December 4th of 1826, the I think Genesee, yeah, sorry if I said that incorrectly, County Board of Supervisors meant to establish a poorhouse in Bethany, New York. Um, and the following people were kind of, were eligible to be admitted here. Um, and I say this because I don't agree with this term, but this was used at the time. Lunatics, or we can assume those with mental illness. Right. Um, the elderly, um, those with disabilities, the homeless, widows, or even orphan children. So, yeah.
1: yeah, you didn't have to be insane or impaired. You just had to be poor. Right. I mean, this was really just anyone kind of could come here. Um, And many times people mm -hmm. were brought there, not by their choice. And dropped off. And dropped off. Right. And
0: that's kind of, I think, the saddest part about all of it. Yeah. Um, So the asylum was constructed in 1828. And uh, this was kind of a separate part to the poorhouse. And it was specifically designated for the mentally ill, as well as, and I thought this phrase was kind of interesting, paupers committed for misconduct. Which makes me think of um, perhaps homeless populations right. were brought there. Um, but they again, they were all kind of put in together. They were not, it doesn't seem kind of separated. Yeah, there weren't
1: wards of this and wards of that. And yeah. There was just places, right. and as more and more came, more and more crowding between right. and mixing between all of these things happened.
0: Right, and overcrowding is a, a thing we see many, many times. Um, so those that did live in at the beginning, it was called the I think Genesee County Poor Farm. It would later become Rolling Hills. Um, anyone that was able to work basically had to work to help pay off their debt for living in right. the poorhouse. Um, basically, the the facility had a farm, it had a kitchen. Mm-hmm. It was kind of self sustaining in that sense. Um,
1: well, and the thought was that work, you know. With the religious aspect of it, that work was good. Right. You know, so... Idle hands. Yeah, idle hands. So, you know, if you're busy, you can't be getting into trouble, so... Right, and somehow that worked with you. Yeah. You know, it it helped me. Yeah.
0: (laughs) However, it does not help to cure mental illness. No, it does not. Which they did not quite get at the time. They did
1: not get it, but they were trying. They
0: were trying. Um, So, a lot of people would basically live the duration of their life out in these facilities on... and unfortunately when they died sometimes family would come to claim them but many times they wouldn't because again the family wanted usually nothing to do with them yeah. they so they were
1: visiting every weekend <laughs> right
0: exactly and they were kind of you know in that sense forgotten which is really sad um, so we know here at Rolling Hills, uh, they were buried on the site of the building, um, usually without proper headstones or identification, because that took money. And right. there was not a ton of money going into usually these facilities. Wooden crosses at best. Right, which would fade over time and yeah. disintegrate. Um, so it's estimated here that there were over 1,700 bodies that were believed to be buried on the property, either very loosely marked or unmarked altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1964, Rolling Hills was converted to a county nursing home. This was closed in 1974 uh, due to its inability to make uh, building code requirements. Right. And it was interesting because going through the hauntings part of this, almost all the hauntings come from the nursing home, not the poorhouse before it, which oh. was kind of funny to me for some reason. So there are a couple uh, notable uh, residents that are still hanging out at Rolling Hills, um, the first is a woman named Hattie, and she has a specific room that she's associated with in the building. Um, she was a resident of the nursing home. She did, you know, it sounds like live out her life there. Um, she's known to be actually quite friendly, and she often will call out to investigators and visitors on EVPs when they come through. Um, and it said that if you say hello to her, she will respond, hello, back to you. And that's been captured a couple times. Oh, okay. So not as, you know, obviously malicious, but...
1: Still, well, that's what there. she's known her whole life, so it's kind of where she thinks she belongs. Right. Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, this one I thought was interesting because you can weigh in on it from a medical perspective. So there is also actually kind of a beloved spirit there named Roy. Um, he was a resident of the poorhouse, I believe. And he was almost seven feet tall and suffered from what they called at the time, I don't know if this is still the name, gigantism.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so it was thought he had a tumor probably in his pituitary gland.
1: Right. And what? Acromegaly. Yeah. And what
0: does that do? Um,
1: continuing to secrete growth hormone mm-hmm. um, beyond the point when it should not be secreted anymore. Right. So and those people do have a lot of medical problems associated with it because the body's just not used to being that tall, that big. Right. Um, As the tumor grows in the head, it puts pressure in the head. Other types of things can happen. Mm. And is that usually malignant or are those benign tumors? They usually are benign tumors. They just grow. They just grow. I
0: see. So, right, he was almost seven feet tall at the time of his death. He passed away in 1942 at the age of 52, mm-hmm. so fairly young. Yeah, um, He's often seen as a shadow figure. And it, I was reading that it um, at first people were actually really afraid because shadow figures are usually not a good thing. Right. But they realized it wasn't a shadow figure. It was actually him because he's so tall. Uh-oh. And he was kind of thought at first to be a shadow figure, and then they realized that was Roy. Just him. <laughs> and he's yeah. very friendly. Um, he's, like I said, one of the favorite spirits of the facility. Um, one woman apparently was there one night and um, a rat kind of ran across her foot and she screamed and kind of ran away. And the next day she went back and found a rat dead on the floor and what looked like a handprint of blood on the wall. And they thought it was Roy taking care of the rat because it scared her back. (laughs) Which is like kind of sweet and slightly creepy. Yes. Um, As far as other activity areas, uh, there is a hallway known as the Shadow Corridor. And it was the old men's dorm. Um, Shadow figures are frequently seen roaming and kind of crawling through this hallway, Mm -hmm. which I don't like at all.
1: Nope.
0: Um, And finally, in the morgue, there is reported poltergeist activity. People often report being touched here. Um, People have even been knocked over. Wow. Yeah. But again, you can see, you know, given the um, probably inhumane at times practices and, you know, the Mm -hmm. way bodies were... Um, you know, laid to rest. I can understand why there is such.
1: Well, it wasn't like those people had happy lives going into their demise. Sure, no, was, and I think that energy sticks Yeah, around for sure. Yeah, some are angry about it mm. and some are sad, and, mm-hmm. you know, those are very strong emotions mm-hmm. that are retained in those situations right. sometimes.
0: they don't necessarily just go away either. No,
1: no. Mm. Right, so that is Rolling Hills.
0: Are you on to our head to our second sure. facility? Um, so this is another psychiatric hospital and this is called Northville Psychi- psychiatric hospital. It's in Michigan. Um, so to kind of set the scene for this in, in the 1940s in Michigan and probably around the country as well, hospitals were experiencing severe overcrowding and aging facilities that needed to be renovated and redone. Um, so this new facility was commissioned in Southeast Michigan Northville was deemed um, kind of where this would be built. And at the time it was made as a facility for feeble children. And again, I say that in air quotes, because it's kind of, it's interesting their um, like justifications for who they were building these facilities for. So because construction began in the forties and the hospital opened in 1952, Um, the complex consisted of 20 buildings over 453 acres of wooded and swampy kind of land um, and at the time it opened, it was actually hailed as one of the best psychiatric hospitals in the state, mm-hmm. which is kind of uh, a common theme we see, that they start with the, the best intentions. Right. And again, due to lack of funding, lack of resources, they kind of go downhill from there. Right. Um, and this was the case here.
1: And many times they just get overwhelmed.
0: Right. Exactly. And again, this is kind of what we see. Um, another theme is that a lot of times these facilities were kind of self-sufficient in that it had its own kitchen, laundry, gym, movie theater, even had a pool and a bowling alley in the building. Wow. Yeah. Um, and in the beginning, um, therapy for the patients was really based on art and music therapy. So, you know, mm-hmm. nec- good things we would good think things. that are, have been shown to help. Um, you know, patients were encouraged to learn how to play an instrument or help in the activities that kept the facility running. Sometimes this would mean landscaping or work in the kitchen, Mm -hmm. Um, but all in all, good things. However, in the 70s, the state cut the budget for mental health services and soon the facility was originally designed for 650 patients, but at that time, almost held up
1: to 1,000. Right, and that's the common theme that happens with these people, you know, they get double, triple. Right. and no, no money coming in because exactly. they're, they're not paying customers.
0: No, and I mean, and you still have to pay the staff. You still have to right. pay t- the operating costs. Yeah. So if the state's not paying, then where's the money coming? Where's from? the money coming from? Right, and obviously we start to see overcrowding with this by the 1980s. Um, the overcrowding really began to contribute to the deteriorating conditions within the facility. Um, there was kind of a, a news story that broke that. Basically, patients were found sleeping in hallways. They had to make the gym into patient housing. Mm-hmm. Doctors kind of began to shift away from art and music therapy and began relying on more heavier psychiatric drugs to treat patients. Keep them quiet. Which is another theme. And again, not saying that's right at all. No. But no, there okay. was so little that I assume was understood about those drugs at the time, other than they right. sedated people.
1: Yeah. They were mainly just to try to keep people calm.
0: Right. Um, And so because of this, patient deaths due to incidents with the staff began to increase within the facility, Um, even to the point where patient escapes became kind of a common occurrence. And people said that lived in the nearby area that it was not uncommon to have someone from the hospital basically crawl into your backyard or maybe be seen walking down the road or even at the local mall. Like this was a very common thing that people began having to come find them and bring them back to the hospital. Right. Um, Even one student nurse said this of uh, Northville. She said, after seven weeks on Ward A11 during spring 1984, as part of my training as a student nurse at a Detroit area community college, I concluded it was a kindness to call Northville a psychiatric hospital. People are not being treated at Northville. They are being warehoused. Right. So simply somewhere to keep people. To keep people. Right. They all go in. And not many of them, unfortunately.
1: The only way they leave is with celestial discharge. Right. You
0: know, and that's, it's truly sad. Um, in the 1990s, the, the building had really deteriorated, or the buildings had very severely deteriorated. And at this point, it was rebranded to Northville Regional Psychiatric Hospital in an attempt to kind of revamp it. But by the early 2000s, Michigan announced that they planned to close the facility within the year. Um, they did end up doing this and the last patient left the facility on May 16th of 2003. Mm -hmm. So fairly recent to be an operation.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, as far as hauntings go, I couldn't find a specific like apparitions that have been seen. It is illegal to go onto the grounds. Basically the, it sounds like the land that the building is on is very valuable. So there's been a lot of court battles on what to do with it, Mm -hmm. but you can't go see it. It is illegal to go, um, without permission, obviously, Um, Those who do successfully sneak onto the grounds have said that going into the tunnels, which you talked about, under the facilities, tend to be very um, active, and uh, they report whispering, uh, rapid footsteps, and even breathing nearby them when they're down there. Yeah, because a lot of
1: times that was a way to transport
0: the bodies. Right. I mean, we just talked about, um, I think it was the last episode, Waverly, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and um, the thought was that if patients saw deceased patients being carried out it would obviously distress them right so the way to mitigate that was to build tunnels to move mm-hmm. the bodies through but it sounds like that like transition had just a lot of activity mm-hmm. attached to it
1: i think so because i think they're confused of what's going on you know and where they're going and they kind of get trapped right into that area like the last place i was before this happened i was I wasn't here right? So, yeah.
0: and that's an interesting question too that just made me think of it when you have found when people have passed away obviously um, in, in your care or on your watch um, do you find that the energy tends to just be gone it's kind of like they pass away and like poof or do you find that energy around them tends to linger for a while before
1: um, you can definitely tell I always you know whatever it is that's the part of us that leave our souls mm-hmm. um, that person even doesn't look as much like themselves I mean the features are there but it's kind of like the spark mm. that was there is now right. gone so it it's always amazing to me how quickly that seems to happen mm-hmm. you know that the familiarity with that person is not as much there anymore mm. Uh, with that, I, I definitely think things stay around for a while. Okay. You know, um, having been in the rooms and such and as people. But I think it's, you know, it's maybe they want to see people that they haven't seen who've come into the room mm-hmm. to be with them and such. I don't, you know, I don't know what that lingering is. But right. But you can kind of just feel that... Presence. Presence. Mm. and hmm um, And... not in a menacing way or anything like that. It's just kind of like, okay, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and it's, for some reason it's comforting in many ways. It's kind of like, that's why I always tell people to talk to people, Mm -hmm. even when they're in comas or unconscious or things. I said, I think that's the last thing to go. Traditionally what's said is Mm -hmm. that the, the hearing. And I think, after they pass, you know, if they're still with us, then that's the time to tell them things too. So, right, you know, it makes us feel better. Um, And if they can hear it, I I think it makes them feel better. Sure. Yeah. That's an interesting,
0: um, definitely an interesting thought for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds like there's not really a timetable that (laughs) people linger after they die.
1: No, it's not. Um, And I think, you know, I think some people are more prepared than others.
0: Sure. I'm sure the manner of death has an effect manner on... manner of
1: death, you know, whether the death was expected or unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of thing, I think, does kind of change things. I think people who've been suffering from a very difficult situation or lingering illness um, may feel like... I'm ready. It's time to go. Yeah, this, what was on this side is not good for me anymore. So I'm ready to be on the other side. Sure. Whereas if you're 16 and you've been in a car accident and Mm -hmm. they're bringing you in, you're like, whoa, 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 (laughs) whoa. What is happening? Yeah. (laughs) Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not supposed to happen to me. So, right. um, So I think you do feel that because I think they're clinging on to, hey, I want you to know I'm here. You, you've got to know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want this to be happening to me. Type right. Of thing, so. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, I've got one more. Okay. For you. Um, and we'll actually, this one's kind of funny because this was kind of close to where we lived when we lived in Massachusetts. Um, this is the Taunton State Hospital. Um So Taunton was opened as the Lunatic Asylum. Again, I do not like those words, but it was what it was called at the time in 1851. Um, It was the second psychiatric facility to open in Massachusetts. Um, Funny enough, the first facility was in Worcester, which is very close to where we lived when we lived up there. Mm -hmm. Um, So this hospital was built in the Kirkbride style, which is something you also see very commonly with asylums. Um, so they were called Kirkbride Asylums or commonly Kirkbrides, and that was created by a doctor named Thomas Kirkbride. And basically the thought behind it was that mental health facilities should be built with open access, um, that patients could easily be exposed to nature and light and air. Um, there, at the time, there was a very heavy thought that like fresh air um, mm-hmm. had a positive impact on mental health treatment, which, I mean, it probably does. Um, I don't think it hurts necessarily. Yeah. Um, so we commonly see, um, you know, facilities that have these big open air kind of decks outside of them. that was meant for patients to be able to come out. Yeah. Um, so as far as, you know, the state of mental health treatment that happened in Taunton, um, it was not great. Um, as we've talked about before, uh, having a family member that had a mental illness was really stigmatized. Um, it was seen as a source of shame in the family. And families kind of either had two choices. They could either completely, you know, lock their family member up in their home and never let them go outside. Right. Or they could send them to an asylum. Um, and this was not usually done as an act of love, it was usually done as a way to be rid of someone.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and whether you had. Funds and capabilities to help, you know, because someone like that requires extra care. Right. So sometimes the, the richer families kept the secret at the house, mm-hmm. you know, and had people who came in who were sworn to secrecy mm-hmm. type of things to help them do that. But right. others who had no way and, you know, we've got to be gone all day and working and mm-hmm. these sort of things. Or and,
0: simply, we just don't want this person around us anymore. Right.
1: Well, they're scared. Right. You know, a lot of times if this person's acting out or does not act, you know, maybe they're autistic even or something where they won't interact with you on a regular type of situation and get afraid when you're trying to talk to them. Well, right. Something like that. So they get afraid. Well, sure. I mean,
0: and I think especially at the time, um, you know, again, I'm saying, you know, mental illness was not well understood. So when we're talking about these things... um, you know, I'm not trying to shade that in a negative light. It's no. simply how it was at the time. Um, sure. So for someone, for example, with autism and is on the spectrum, um, the, obviously people communicate differently. Someone who is on the spectrum may communicate differently. And people at the time did not understand that. No. Um, and there was a lot of religious fervor in that, too. There was. It's where we see the idea of possession a lot of times and demonic influence or probably many times those cases were people who were suffering from mental illness and needed help, but were just not given it. Right. Um, so it was absolutely barbaric at times that, you know, families were either so scared or just did not know what to do that they dropped basically their family members off at these facilities. And a lot of times never came back to see them. Um, so basically, especially at Taunton, the mentally ill were treated as if they were incarcerated um, and they were subjected to some truly brutal treatments. Um, these included solitary confinement, um, being shackled daily, electric shock therapy, which now we understand a lot more about, and it is actually ECT is being used more now, and obviously right. a safe manner, in right. a more understood way. But at the time, it
1: but was they very weren't dangerous. even doing sedation for that, right? And it really hurts,
0: it, right? And I mean, I'm sure that killed a fair amount of people. Right.
1: If you don't control it correctly.
0: Right. Um, one incredibly barbaric treatment um, was uh, included injecting patients with um, blood that had been uh, infected with malaria to induce a fever. It was thought that fever could somehow sweat out, sweat out the, the mental illness, um, which we obviously know that does not work. No. Um, and then the other one was kind of this idea of phrenology. Um, and you'll see these, um, like if you, a lot of times around right now, because it's Halloween, if you're at TJ Maxx, or you're at Goods, you'll see the kind of bust of someone's head and you see kind of lines around different parts of the head and like markings. Mm-hmm. Phrenology was the um, idea that it was like the measurement of your head in different regions of your head. If they were a certain size, they denoted your perhaps what mental illness afflicted you or oh, okay. an ailment. It's obviously incredibly incorrect, but it was a, a well-accepted idea at the time. Um, interestingly enough, there were a couple of noticeable or notable uh, patients that were housed at Taunton. Um, probably the most well-known was uh, Jolly Jane Toppin, who we've talked about f- before in a very early episode of the show. Um, She was a nurse who was known to have killed at least 31 people from 1880 to 1901. Um, And it's interesting because most of the times when we have read about cases about, you know, nurses or doctors intentionally killing patients, um, it's kind of this angel of death, right, idea. But for her, and Toppin said she felt a sexual thrill when watching people die in front of her. And that's what motivated her to keep doing it. Ah. Yeah. So, she was arrested on October 29th of 1901 after the mysterious death of the Davis family from whom she was renting. It sounded like either an apartment or a home that she no longer was able to pay for. Um, So, they all mysteriously started dying. Oh. And it was later found that their causes of death were linked to both atropine and morphine poisoning.
1: Mm -hmm. okay.
0: So... Um, obviously, a lot of energy in this area. Um, there is an urban legend that says a satanic cult uh, used the abandoned building for their practices, um, specifically in the basement. Again, could not find any evidence to confirm that, right. but urban legends are, you know, around these areas tend to run rampant. Um, though this was interesting. When the hospital was still operating, staff often reported that they were able to get down to the basement steps. But when attempting to step into the basement itself, they were physically unable to bring themselves to go down there. Wow. So something was down there.
1: Yeah, something that no one wanted to be around. Yeah. Um, and wanted, it wanted to be by itself. <laughs>
0: right. One of the buildings on campus, the Goss Building, um, there is a man that is commonly sighted in white on the third floor, um, seen walking around. And in the woods behind the property, um, screaming and crying is often heard, um, and it's thought to be linked to the patients that were housed at Taunton.
1: Wow. Okay. So
0: yeah, that those were the ones I found.
1: Mm-hmm. And interesting ones.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it truly is a, a dark history when it comes to you know mental health treatment in this country. I'm sure around the world as well. Um, obviously, things are, are much better now. We still have ways to go, but. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I just think we're now just starting to open up and feel comfortable enough for people to say, "Hey, I have problems," mm-hmm. you know, and to talk about them because we don't expect people to have problems. It's like everybody's normal <laughs> and the level of normal can vary.
0: <laughs> well, right. And I think so too. And you know, it's, it's a subject close to home as someone who has struggled with mental illness. So, um, you know, it's sad to read about how people were treated back then. You know, I only hope that when we say these things, it's for the fact that we learn from them and right. continue, you know, finding better ways to treat people.
1: Yes, but I think, you know, I think people are more in tune now um, about the mental illness issues and looking for ways. I mean, you see all these things on TV now, you know, with these health help where you can talk to people, Mm -hmm. you know, talk in with counselors and such as that, making it more available, especially uh, this viral problem is going on. You know, people are scared to go into places. You know, do things. So I think people are looking for outlets Mm -hmm. um, to allow care to happen. And and then when you see stars admit they have problems, when you see athletes admit they have problems, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you as the common Joe or Jane Mm -hmm. um, kind of think, hey, okay.
0: (laughs) Right. It's definitely something that's being more um, talked about now and for sure. And I mean, I know that's something we always try to be, very open with on the show is that, you know, um, you're not alone if you're suffering from any kind of mental illness and, you know, there is help out there. So please always ask for help if you need it. Right. For sure.
1: You don't have to go through it by yourself Mm -hmm. and there are always someone there to help you and get options. Right. And sometimes that's what the worst thing about these people feel like they're out of options. Mm -hmm. And you know, um, I've
0: struggled with those feelings. It is not a good place to be, and I know Caitlin has as well. So, um, it's a it's a cause I think near and dear to us. So we always try Correct. to to bring that up in these episodes. But yeah,
1: and I just think there's continued hope for mankind as we uh, see where we were and where we're coming, and what we'll, mm-hmm. you know, we'll hopefully will happen in the future. Right, to be better things. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Medicine is always. Evolving, And I think hopefully that integration of, you know, medicine and mental health continue to integrate with each other more. Because I feel like in the past it's been very um, divided between, you know. Right. It's a very separate
1: process. Mm-hmm. And many times there are multiple things. I mean, people can have chronic illnesses that cause them to have anxiety, depression, um, phobias. I mm-hmm. mean, who, because they've been put through so many things. Sure. Possibly at a very young age that impact on them. And, you know, so it's the physical illness has happened with, you know, the mental results. Sure. Type of thing. Or, you know, people who don't get medical care because they're scared to go into Mm -hmm. the system. Sure. You know, because they're scared they're going to be ostracized or Mm -hmm. treated differently or given a lot of drugs they don't want to get. Those sort of things. So. Um, you know, it, it one goes with the other. Surely, really that it's just one thing that's happened, right?
0: And so, if you if you take anything from this episode, and I know we've I hope we've entertained you, it's that if you're struggling with something, it is okay to get help, and that is coming from a board certified physician. Correct. So you've Correct. heard it first. <laughs> that's right.
1: And all the terms we use today were not based on our terms; they were just yeah. the terms that were used at the time. time. Right. With that, but and. Um, and as I said in the beginning, please don't stop listening to Celeste and Caitlin just because of me. Okay? No, this is
0: a good episode. I think people are really gonna like it. So. Um, it's always interesting to get you know another person's perspective on things. Sure. Yeah. All right. We can go ahead and start wrapping up. Um, well, Caitlin, we miss you. Yes, Caitlin, we miss you. Come home soon, please. Yes. yes. Um, After you hear this, you'll want to come home and take <laughs> back like, what over. What are you doing down what there? What are
1: you doing to me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, Caitlin, we miss you. Um, as always, remember that you can find us on Facebook. If you search "Gool Friends Podcast, um, do send us a message. We always love getting your animal pictures, so keep those up. Um, mm-hmm. You can find us on Instagram at Google Friends Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Google underscore Friends. Um, We now have a TikTok at Goal Podcast. We're branching out in our social media
1: ventures. And I don't know what many of these things are. (laughs) I don't know what a TikTok is. I'll explain to you after this. I've seen the TikTok, but you know. (laughs) I love TikTok. I
0: love it. Um, Let's see. What else? If you have a listener story or you want to email us, you can do that at goldfriendspodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to get yourselves some Ghoul Friends podcast merch, you can do that at ghoulfriendspod.redbubble.com And that's that's all I got on how you can get a hold of us. There's plenty of ways. <laughs> plenty
1: of ways. Plenty of ways.
0: Yes. So for now, we hope you have a safe and a spooky week. I'm Celeste. I'm Kathy. Mama yeah. ghoul. <laughs> and we're your ghoul friends. Bye. Bye, baby ghouls. <laughs>